Last night I went to bed early like I do most Saturday nights so that I'm prepared and ready to be here to, to, to hopefully be God's instrument to preach to you. And so uh, I'd been asleep for three to four hours and I am awakened by the sound of our alarm system fixing to go off. You know, a, a door has been breached and is sending a warning. It's fixing to go crazy. So I immediately jump up, and I'm, I'm in one of those sleeps that you don't just wake up from. I'm out of it, and I'm stumbling in my onesie across the, sto- the, the floor to get to the garage door to figure out what's going on, and I get to the garage door, and I'm about to open it, and I hear noise in the garage, and I'm like, I mean, immediately my heart starts beating, I'm like, what's going on? Someone's breaking in. Next thing you know, someone's at the garage door trying to open the garage door to get in the garage, and I'm pushing back on the door, and they're on that side pushing to get in the door. Second Chronicles chapter 11 <laughs> and 12. You know, the Chronicles is, are full of stories, and what makes some of these stories great is they're stories that make you ask questions like, what's going to happen next. Anybody feeling like that? Okay, so you can pay attention to the rest of the story in the sermon. Let me tell you what happened. So I'm pushing and it, it hits me. I come to a moment of clarity. Malin is babysitting tonight. <laughs> so I open the door and Malin walks in. She says, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm going to bed, and I just walk into my bedroom, and she's walking to the room going, what in the world is his problem, you know? So anyway, that was a fun night for the Eckerts. Let's get into something more fun here, Second Chronicles 11 and 12. Now, when we get into Second Chronicles 11, we're going to begin to focus on the southern kingdom. Now... The reason the focus is shifted because the kingdom has split. So you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, split kingdoms. The northern kingdom is the ten tribes that have followed Jeroboam. The southern kingdom are the two tribes that are under Rehoboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And the reason we're focusing on the southern kingdom is because the chronicler, the storyteller, is chiefly concerned with the promise of a king that would sit on the throne of David. So we're going to follow the line of David through the history of Israel. That we, uh, is important because we're looking for the fulfillment of that promise of a king that sits on the throne of David. So the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, we'll only pay attention to in the story of the Chronicles as it relates to the southern kingdom. But our focus is on the southern because of the concern for the throne of David. If you'll remember with me as we talked through the story last week, we saw how foolish Rehoboam was. Just foolishness after foolishness. He didn't listen to wise counsel. He didn't listen to the Lord. And it really cost him a lot. It cost him the kingdom. It cost him a leader's life. It nearly cost him his own life. He was fleeing from Shechem, where he had gone to be crowned king. He was fleeing for his life. And he made it back to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he gathers uh, Judah. He gathers Benjamin, those two tribes that he's now leading. And he, and he builds an army. This massive army from these two tribes. And he says, we're going after the other ten tribes. And we're going to bring them back by force. So that's the plan that he has. And as he's fixing to carry out that plan, a prophet shows up. Prophet Shemaiah. And he has a word from the Lord for Rehoboam. Let's look at that together. Second Chronicles chapter 11 verse 4. 
Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. So the Lord sends word to Rehoboam, says you're not to take this army, you're not to fight against Jeroboam, you're not to go against him. Because I've done this. And, and look at what happens, it's incredible. Verse, the remainder of verse 4. So they listened to the words of the Lord and returned from going against Jeroboam. Rehoboam. This foolish king who would refuse to listen to anything of wisdom has now listened to the Lord. Incredible turnaround. And now we're asking the question, is there hope for Rehoboam? Has he turned a corner? Now look what happens in the remainder of the chapter. Chapter 11, verse 5 through the end of the chapter, verse 23 really gives us a picture of God's response to Rehoboam's one moment of listening. And you can see three areas where we see God's response. And and generally what we see in those three areas is God is pouring out His loving kindness on Rehoboam in response to Rehoboam listening to what the Lord said. So one moment of listening, and God pours out all this loving kindness on Rehoboam. Could it be that God is pouring out His loving kindness so Rehoboam would remember? It's just a whole lot better to listen to the Lord. You've been doing all this foolishness. You listen to me one time, and now look what I have done. Listen to me. And the details of this this loving kindness of the Lord that He poured out on Rehoboam first starts in verse 5, and it goes through verse 12. And that's talking about the cities that are surrounding Jerusalem in the territory of Judah. And there are certain cities that Rehoboam goes in and he builds up, he fortifies them. He supplies those cities with everything they need to be fortified cities of protection. What you have is a picture of Rehoboam's kingdom split in two and threatened. They are the minority group. There are ten tribes, much bigger than the two tribes. They're in trouble. The kingdom is dissolving. And what happens? Rehoboam listens to the Lord, and now Rehoboam is able to go ahead and fortify cities so that Judah and Benjamin are safe. It's this picture of God's loving kindness being poured out on Rehoboam so that he can actually become strong enough to be safe from attack. Amazing picture of God's loving kindness. It should cause you to begin to remember what happened with Solomon. As God poured out His loving kindness on Solomon, Solomon experienced an amazing strength of his kingdom. We're seeing something very similar here mirrored as a result of Rehoboam listening to the Lord. The next section, verse 13 through 17, talks about how all the priests and the Levites, even the ones that were in the northern kingdom, outside the two tribes that are under Rehoboam, even those, they begin to come back into Judah, into Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Because often the northern kingdom, Jeroboam set up idols. He has set up imposter priests, priests that are not from the tribe of Levi. He's encouraging the people to worship the Lord away from Jerusalem because he's afraid that if the people start going back to Jerusalem, Rehoboam's going to gain strength. And what happens? All the Levites and priests in these other areas come back. They leave their lands, they leave their pastures, and they come back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And everybody else that wants to set their heart to seek the Lord goes back with the priests and the Levites. And you see this great strengthening happening for Rehoboam and his kingdom through the right worship of God. So once again, we see the loving kindness of God poured out in response to Rehoboam's one moment of listening. 
Now, the third section, verses 18 through 23, talks about Rehoboam's family. It's about all these kids and all these people in his family. It's a huge family. And what it's, it, what it's communicating here is that the kingdom has become so stable and established that Rehoboam is preparing a son to take the throne. Rehoboam now sees God has secured the kingdom. I'm preparing my son to sit on the throne because we are going to be okay. He takes all of his other sons and he sets them up in the fortified cities and they're ruling in all those places so that you get this picture of a kingdom that is established and strong because of the loving kindness of God. Now that ought to remind you what we heard in the story of Solomon. Chapter 1, verse 1 of 2 Chronicles tells us that Solomon established his kingdom. See, you remember Solomon experienced something very much like this. Remember what Solomon did the the moment we hear that his kingdom was established? He led the people to worship God, didn't he? So here we are in the story of Rehoboam, and God's loving kindness has enabled the kingdom to become established right in the midst of really difficult circumstances. And here we're asking the question, what happens next? Chapter 12, verse 1. When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. Rehoboam just runs after foolishness again. God poured out his loving kindness, gave Rehoboam every opportunity to continue in the loving kindness of God. And Rehoboam turns away from the Lord and forsakes the Lord. And leads all Israel to do the same. Somewhere in the fourth year of Rehoboam's reign, he forsook the Lord. And then by the fifth year of his reign, God brought the king of Egypt, Shishak, against Judah and Jerusalem. Because of the unfaithfulness of the people. So Rehoboam's no longer listening. He's pursuing, forsaking the Lord. He's not humbling himself before God. He's doing whatever he wants and leading the people to do the same. And God brings the king of Egypt in. And the king of Egypt begins to destroy the fortified cities, capture those cities where Rehoboam's sons were. He, be- he comes straight to the door of Jerusalem and is ready to come in and destroy the city. This is exactly what God said would happen. You remember when Solomon prayed to the Lord at the temple dedication? God, will you, will you listen to your people when they pray towards this place? Would you just show them that you care about them, that you're their God and they are your people? And God answers Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And God says to Solomon, I'm going to be that God. I'm going to listen to the people. I'm going to pay attention to them. But if you forsake me, I will uproot you from the land and I will destroy this temple. And here, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, has forsaken the Lord. And guess what's happening? God has brought Shishak in to uproot them from the land and destroy the temple. God, in His grace, sends His prophet to Rehoboam. You see, God is always working to encourage us to listen to him. And he sends his prophet 
And the prophet Shemaiah had a word for Rehoboam. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, so I also have forsaken you to Shishak. Before Shishak was going to come in and destroy Jerusalem, God sent word to Rehoboam through Shemaiah, the prophet. And Rehoboam heard the Lord speak, even though he never deserved to hear anything. And in response to what God said, look at what they do. Verse 6, So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. This is their confession. The reason this is humility is because when the people say the Lord is righteous, what the king is saying is, you say that we're wrong, and you're right to say that about us. You say that we're guilty of forsaking you. We have forsaken you. You are right to say that. You have brought Shishak against us, and he's threatening to destroy Jerusalem. And we say that you are right in doing that. You said you would do it. We have forsaken you, and you are righteous in everything you're doing. And they surrendered themselves to the plan of God because the Lord is righteous in all He does. They humbled themselves. But if you remember, God also told Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then I will hear from heaven. And that's exactly what happens. They humble themselves God hears from heaven and he turns toward them and he sends word to Shemaiah, the prophet of God. And look what he says to Shemaiah in verse 7. They have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by means of Shishak, but they will become his slaves so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. God pours out His loving kindness again. Rehoboam listened. He humbled himself in that moment. And God pours out His loving kindness. You see, God was going to destroy Jerusalem. But because they humbled themselves before God, God says, I'm not going to destroy Jerusalem. He says, things won't be the same. Things will be different. And Shishak comes in, instead of destroying Jerusalem, he comes in and he takes all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the king's palace. And we see what that's really like by this this picture of the shields of Solomon. The chronicler tells us that all the gold shields of Solomon were taken home by Shishak and they were left with none of those shields. But it says that, that Rehoboam is able to rebuild the shields, but this time they're built out of bronze. It's this picture of things are not the same. They're not as good as they used to be, but at least you have something here. At least you're still alive. At least you haven't been destroyed. It's like someone coming and saying, you're going to move from the mansion, you're going to move to the shack. You're going to be moved from the gold shields to the bronze shields, the mansion to the shack. Well, at least you still have a place to live. I mean, it's not as good as it was, but at least it's something. And and in fact, the chronicler tells us in verse 12 that the conditions in Judah were good. And we know they were not the same. The picture is found in the shields. 
Nothing was as good as it used to be. So why does the Chronicler tell us the condition is good in Judah? Because God, in His grace, withheld His wrath and took the circumstances created by their sin and left them in place as a means by which the people would be constantly reminded that serving the Lord is better than serving anyone else. So God took all of this that was not as good as before and He used it to be a daily reminder, you need to listen to me. You see, God said, I'm going to pour out my loving kindness because you listen to me because I want you to listen to me. They didn't listen to him. So he says, okay, I'm going to take the circumstances that you created by not listening to me and I'm going to turn those and use those and develop those in such a way that they are a constant reminder, you should listen to me because listening to me is better than anything else you could ever do. And God just pours out his loving kindness again because this one moment of listening, all because he wants Rehoboam and the people to listen to God for the rest of their lives because there's nothing like serving the Lord. Nothing. Look at verse 13. This is going to sound like the end of the story, okay? So King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Now think about this. If you're hearing the story for the first time, and you're told about Rehoboam's foolishness, and then this one moment of listening, how God pours out his loving kindness so they keep on listening, and they didn't. They forsook the Lord again. And the Lord brought about an enemy to discipline them so that they might turn back to the Lord. He sent the prophet again to say, hey, this is what the Lord's doing. He's promised to do that. Don't forget the other promise. If you humble yourself, he's going to hear. They humble themselves. He hears and he takes the circumstances that are not as good as before and he redeems them so that they will be constantly reminded to listen to the Lord. The end. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happens to Rehoboam? He reigns for 17 years. We've seen a five-year window. What happened for the rest of the 12 years? Did he pay attention to the Lord? What happened? What was on the other side of the door? Verse 14. We find our answer. He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. If you were wondering whether or not there's any proof of that, well, the prophet Shemaiah, he made a record of all the ways that Rehoboam did evil because his heart is not set on the Lord. And if you needed even more proof of that, you know, God told Rehoboam, don't fight against Jeroboam. Look at what it says here. It says that, There were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. The one thing God told Rehoboam not to do, he spent his life doing it. He did evil. That's the final assessment of his life. Because the pattern of his life revealed that his heart was not set on the Lord. There's no question that Rehoboam had a moment. He had two moments. He humbled himself and the Lord responded to his humility. He listened to the Lord and the Lord poured out his loving kindness. But one moment 
did not make a pattern of trust. One moment did not reveal his heart. His heart was revealed over the pattern of his life. And his heart was not set to seek the Lord. If you're living in the day of the chronicler, and you've gathered around to hear the story, and he tells you the story, think about what this story means to you. Here you are back in Israel. God has brought you back out of exile, and you're back in Israel. You've rebuilt the temple. It's nothing like it was before. Everything has changed. You're still under Persian rule. You're not independent. You've not been established. You don't have a king on the throne. Nothing is like it used to be. Everything's just kind of pieced together, thrown together, and you're trying to figure out how to be the people of God. You don't even have any identity as the two tribes or the twelve tribes. Or You're just thrown all together in this deal, and you're trying to figure out how to make it work. It's not like it was. And you hear the story of Rehoboam. And you hear in the story of Rehoboam that if God brought you back, And things aren't like they used to be. God just might be using the way things are to convince you that there's nothing better than serving the Lord. To give you a reminder every single moment of every single day that God should be paid attention to because there's nothing like serving Him And and might this story of Rehoboam might be the thing that reminds you, that teaches you, that if you want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, if you want to see His loving kindness like He wants you to see it, if you want to really embrace the reality of God's promises and know the fulfillment of those things, that it requires that your heart is set to seek the Lord. One moment won't do. Yeah, He brought you back to Israel one moment. Yeah, He allowed you to rebuild the temple another moment. But if you want to see God's loving kindness right here in this land, constantly reminded to listen to Him, you need to set your heart to seek the Lord. Because the pattern of your life, putting together moment after moment after moment, that's what reveals your heart. Now think about us. Here we are, living in this world. This world is not like it used to be before sin entered it. And it is not anywhere close to what it will be when Jesus returns. Here we are, in this broken place, full of all kinds of tragedy, difficulty, challenges, evil, temptation, sin. It's a broken place. We got people sitting in here this morning that have felt the brokenness of this world Beyond imagination this week. But do you recognize that God have every right the moment sin entered this world to destroy it all? And He didn't. You know what He did? He allowed the circumstances of our sin to erode this world. And he said, I'm going to use everything in this world, every tragedy, every temptation, every crisis, every evil, I'm going to use it all. And I'm going to use it to remind you every single day, day in and day out, that it's better to serve me than serve anything else.
He redeems it all. And he has made this place where we live, though it's broken and though we long for home of heaven, he's made this place the ideal place for us to see his constant invitation to respond to him. He wants us to set our hearts to seek after him. This is so much a matter of the heart. The heart is the emphasis in 2 Chronicles. It's all through both Chronicles. First and second, there's this theme of the heart. It begins with David's commission to Solomon. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David says to Solomon, Look, I want you to serve the Lord with your whole heart. Because God searches all the hearts. And He understands every intent of the thoughts. Seek Him, and He will let you find Him. Forsake Him, and He will reject you forever. The heart is what matters. Not a moment, but the heart. The heart. What's happening in your heart today? God knows every heart in this room. He knows every thought you have. I know when I hear that, that's not real comforting. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there's not a lot of good going on in my heart i got a serious problem. It's called sin. And you've got it too. And sin has broken our hearts so that the trajectory of our life is away from the Lord. We are bent to forsake the Lord in our hearts. That is a problem. But you know what God has done? He hasn't just sent a prophet. He has sent a king. And he fulfilled his promise. And Jesus Christ came. And he died on the cross for your sin. And he rose again from the dead, overcoming the power of sin in your life. And he put on display throughout all eternity the banner of the gospel that Jesus Christ gave his life to rescue you. And you see that banner of the gospel. It's God's appeal to you to turn your heart to the Lord. To set your heart to seek Jesus. And when you respond to the banner of the gospel and set your heart to seek Jesus, He comes in and He fixes your heart. He cleanses your sin. And you can follow Him. And you can see all the things in this life that the enemy intends to destroy us with. You can see them in the hands of a loving God that he can take all of what this world can dish out and use it to cause us to listen to him because there's nothing like serving him. But that moment of turning your heart to Jesus is not a one-moment kind of decision. It's setting your heart to seek after Christ. What are you this morning? Are you a one moment kind of person? Or are you a pattern kind of person? Years ago, I met a guy named Jason. 
And we could both see how God had orchestrated the meeting. It was pretty incredible. And God had just been working in Jason's life so that Jason would listen to the Lord. And I got to share the gospel with Jason. He saw the banner of Christ. And he confessed his faith in Jesus. We started to meet together every week and tried to equip him to follow Christ. And we did that for a couple months. By the, by the end of a couple months, he began to have a conflict with meeting. He was busy. He had something going on. He couldn't get together. When we did get together, something just wasn't right. And pretty soon he said, I'm not, I, I don't want to meet anymore. And I tried to get with him, encourage him, pray for him, do everything I could, and nothing worked. He just, he just cut me off. And I'd run into him every once in a while over the next four years. And every time I'd run into him, he'd be further and further away from anything that resembled following Christ. In fact, he would eventually say, all that stuff that we did, that wasn't real. I don't want any of that in my life. I'm going a different direction. Apparently, Jason was a one-moment kind of person. He had a moment of humility. I was there. I saw it. But that one moment didn't reveal his heart. The pattern over the next four years revealed his heart. See, one moment kind of people, they don't set their heart to seek after the Lord. They have a moment here and there, but it's not the pattern of their life. You might ask the question, was Jason a Christian? And I'm not going to make the ultimate call on that. But I can tell you this. I saw the pattern of his life. And the pattern of his life revealed that he had not set his heart to seek after Christ. And that is not the path of salvation. In 1999, I met another young man. And he had struggles in his life with belief and doubt and sin. He just didn't know what to believe. He was struggling with salvation and believing that he really was saved. And it all had to do with some of his doubting and some of his sin struggles. But you know what he kept doing? He kept on just humbling himself before the Lord. He kept on saying, well, God, I just want to listen to you. I don't understand what's going on with me, but I'll trust you. And he went through all these struggles. And there were times he wanted to quit. I mean, his sin in his life at times made him want to quit. His doubts at times made him think, maybe I never even started. But you know, he kept, on, he kept on saying, I'm not going to quit. Because serving the Lord's got to be better than serving anyone else. And I'm just going to keep on pressing through this. And he just, he kept on and he never quit. And, and it, what he did is he had one moment of humility. And then he followed it with another moment of listening. And he followed that with another moment of humility. And pretty soon over the years, guess what he developed? A pattern that said, I set my heart to seek the Lord no matter what. And guess what? 14 years later today, he is faithfully serving the Lord. He's faithfully leading his family. He is helping others set a pattern in their life to trust the Lord. It is an amazing story. I wish I could tell you more of the details. Incredible story of what the Lord has done in and through his life. But listen, he still has struggles. He still has challenges. They're just different than they were 14 years ago. But he set the pattern of his life. He set his heart to seek after the Lord. What have you done? What have you done with that moment of humility? You set your heart to seek after the Lord? 
The pattern of your life reveals your heart. What have you done? If, if God can do in Rehoboam's life with one moment, I mean, think about what happened. One moment of listening, God turns a nation around. One moment of listening, God prevents destruction on coming on a nation and creates circumstances so the entire nation will be encouraged to listen to the Lord. One moment. The problem is it just stayed one moment. He never set his heart to seek the Lord. Now think what will happen in your life if you turn those moments into a pattern A heart set to seek the Lord. His loving kindness will fill your life and satisfy your soul. You will look around and you will see the world that you're in as an incredible opportunity to be reminded every single day it is better to serve the Lord. And you will know that the only way to experience that is by setting your heart to seek after Christ. I love the story of Rehoboam because it's a great story. It makes us ask the question, what's going to happen next? We might think that the question the story makes us ask is what happens next to Rehoboam. But that's not really the question the story makes us ask. The question Rehoboam's story makes us ask is what will happen with you. What will you do? Will you set your heart to seek the Lord?